Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. I want to share the story that I was watching yesterday with you guys, uh, especially since it's timely, since Queen Elizabeth died this week. Um, Queen Elizabeth and her, her bodyguard were in the mountains of Scotland, and they were hiking, and they came across um, they came across this couple, and they were from America, and they were tourists, and, and they were hiking, and they, they really they didn't recognize Queen Elizabeth. This is a true story, by the way. They didn't recognize her, so they're talking to the queen and her her uh, her bodyguard, and they they get kind of familiar with them, and they're just talking, you know, talking, and they say, so where do you live? They ask Queen Elizabeth, where do you live? And she says, well, we live in London. And they said, oh, you live in London? Have you ever met the Queen? And she, uh, you know, whatever you think about Queen Elizabeth and the monarchy and all that, she, in her wisdom, says, well, you know, I've never met her personally, but he has. He sees her all the time. And they're like, oh, you're kidding could, could you do us a favor? Could you take a picture of us with him so that we can send it back to our friends? They'll never believe that we have met someone who regularly meets the queen. And you know, every day in this world there are people who have God standing, Jesus Christ standing right in front of them, and they have no idea who he is. And at that story just hit me. I'm like, he's right. He's right. So we, we, we need to look for, we need to see God around us. Now why? Why do we need to, to look and see God around us? And the reason why that is is because you and I, we were created to worship. I know you're saying, oh, man, I, I, Pastor, you don't want to hear me sing. Maybe not. I'm not telling you not to, but what there are more than just singing to worship. There's so many ways that we can worship God. See, when, when God wove us together in, in our mother's womb, he made us extremely complex. Granted, some people are more complex than others. But he made us complex. And, and, and every time I think about that complexity of our human bodies, I, I become even more amazed at what God has done and who he is. When, when, I, when I try to understand the human psyche, I'm reading a book called The, the uh, Psychology of Totalitarianism. It's about mass formation, which is what happened during COVID, what happened during Nazism, which happened, people just doing things that doesn't make any sense, even after they know all the facts. And it's amazing how the human psyche works. How does the inner human being work? How did, how did God do that? It's, it's, just, it's phenomenal. It's amazing what God has done. In the book of Proverbs, it talks about how, how important our heart is. Our inner core, for, for a Jewish way of thinking, the Jewish people thought that they thought with their heart. They, they, it's not the brain that they thought did the thinking, it was just your heart. And in fact, Scripture kind of doesn't necessarily say that that's exactly what happens. We know today because our brains think. 
But this idea of the inner being, the core of who we are, it's not just this organ that pumps blood through our body and keeps us alive. It's where a lot of things come from. Proverbs 4.23 tells us, says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. From the very moment that we were created, God desires our heart. We talk about the heart a lot when it comes to relationships. We talk about, you know, uh, you know, my, my heart goes pitter-patter whenever he or she walks in the room. You know, a woman will say, I don't think a guy ever says that. I don't think I've ever said that. I may think it, but I never say it. But a woman will say it. But when, she, when he walked into that room, I just, oh, there was something in my heart that just went pitter-patter. You know, what do we give on Valentine's Day? We give candy. What, are the, what kind of box shape is the candy normally? heart there's it's, it's so important that we guard our hearts it is our heart that god is speaking to it's our heart that god is trying to persuade but on the other side it's our heart that is profoundly wicked jeremiah tells us in chapter 17 verse 9 he says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it so that's why i think it's very important that you know we need emotions there's no doubt we need emotions as humans but there are sometimes we think with our emotions and yes guys us guys do the same thing we think with our emotions and we can't because the heart will lie to you your heart will tell you one thing when the reality is something completely different. And your heart will convince you that it knows what's right when in reality it's completely wrong. And this is why as a follower of Christ, God by His grace has focused His awesome power on the complexity of our heart. In Psalm 51.10, we, we sing song, we have a song that, sing that uses these words, and, and it, it, it's, it's so, it's create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Clean my heart. And how does, how does God do that? How does God, how does he call us to him, and then how does he clean our hearts and restore a right spirit within us? It's through repentance and the salvation that Christ brought to us on the cross. But we have to understand that when, when that day that on the day that God calls us and we answer with our heart and God washes our heart clean, that's just the start. It's kind of like you know, well, you know, I, she and I fell in love and. And, you know, if, if Beth and I, when Beth and I started dating and then we got married, you know, I was done. That was it. I don't have anything else to do as far as, you know, dating my wife. I don't, I don't need to tell her I love her. I married her, didn't I? That, that, it doesn't stop when we accept Christ into our lives and we surrender to him. That's not when it stops. And that's where it starts, but that's not where it stops. Our hearts require more than just to be washed clean of our sins. What happens is our heart continuously and consistently needs to be filled with the good and the holy because if not, then those old sins are going to creep their way back in. And scary, this is really scary is 
our heart is going to develop new sins that it didn't think of before. If we don't fill it with good and holy things. Those sins and those 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 sins that we previous sins and the new sins are going to take up residence again in our hearts. And then we end up with what is called a divided heart. And many times we enter here on Sunday morning with a divided heart. We come here to worship God, but our hearts are divided. And the thing is, so we, we gather with others who are just like us, sinners in the process of being saved by grace. And we, many of us, we're not the only ones in here today maybe having a divided heart. And we don't like to admit we have a divided heart. And why we sometimes console ourselves with the fact that, well, you know, this is the way it is. We're not alone. I mean, I'm not the only one in here who, who has things that are pulling my heart in a different direction away from God. And hey, at least I'm in church today, is what we tell ourselves. We begin to rationalize things. There's a warning that we're going to see in Isaiah today of the end result of a divided heart. Let's go to Isaiah 29. Now, in the middle of this is probably a what I would call kind of the crux of the whole chapter. I'm going to read that first. This is verse 13, and then we'll go back and we'll pick up the first verse and we'll walk through this. This is, this is what Isaiah really says, and the Lord said, so Isaiah is writing this, but God is telling him what to write. It says, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. See, God is saying, you're coming in here. You're coming to worship me. And you're saying the right words, but your heart is someplace else. And while you are to fear me, yes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We are to fear God, but you're only doing it because I told you to. I've told you this before. I want my kids, I don't want my kids to do things that they need to do that I tell them to do because they're afraid of me because I can hurt them. That's not why. I want them to do things that I don't have to tell them to keep having to do because they love me. God wants you to fear him because you love him. But the Israelites weren't doing that. See, what happens today, if if we like the worship songs that are being sung, we might find ourselves, sometimes with a divided heart, we'll find ourselves going through the motions of what we think worship should look like. Mouthing the words with our heart. When our hearts are a million miles away, our hearts aren't here. So we're just going through the motions. If we don't like the song, we might just stand stoically, looking like we're worshiping, but again, it's just a physical act. There's no heart there. Now, I'm not saying that to judge anybody, because there are some people who could stand and not say, not you know, look stoic and still be worshiping inside. I can't determine that. That's up between you and God. But you need to understand, we cannot come in here with a divided heart. We must, and however we express our worship or don't express our worship, it's fine because God knows your heart. God knows. See, 
what we got to understand is we have to ask ourselves, has God done enough to deserve our full heart? Has he done enough to deserve our worship? Does, does, does God love us enough? Well, we, we know the answer to that. The answer is yes. Then there's no, if that's the case, then there's no style or execution of worship, of music that can stop a healthy heart from worshiping. It doesn't matter what song's being played, whether you know the words or not, whether you can even sing it or not. What matters is that your heart's in the right place. Because see, worship is a matter of the heart. And I think that many times, I don't know about you, there have been times when I, I need a little heart surgery. I need the great physician to come and do a little work on my heart, to mend my heart. My younger brother's had three open heart surgeries each time, and still he's, he's probably going to have another. You know? But see, God, God's the one who can mend our hearts. But see, what usually with humans, and what I found with many, in many instances, what happens is it's not until we completely fall apart that we actually open ourselves up to God fixing our heart. If we did that physically, if you wait until you have a heart attack or until your heart stops, oh, yeah, I meant to get have heart surgery and have those have those uh, vessels cleared out. I just, you know, I figured I'd do it once I actually had a heart attack. It doesn't work that way. But that's usually what happens. We get to the bottom. We get to our rock bottom, and then we realize we need God. And that's because what happens is God allows us to struggle. To work through those moments. Because he knows us. He knows us what it's going to take. And he is so patient. He could make us believe him. He could make us love him. It wouldn't take much. He's, he's God. He can do anything. He could just, you all love me. And we wouldn't. And we wouldn't think anything about it. Something man can't do, though he tries at times. It's a mystery to a lot of people and, and why a, a loving God would allow us to go through difficult times. Why would he allow us to struggle? But the reality is, is that when we are struggling is when we encounter God on a completely different level. A completely different level what we discover is we discover what it truly means to trust him in those times when we feel the world closing in around us. We see what it means to surrender to God instead of trying to control him. And if you and I are children of God, God never in reality gives us what we deserve. I say it again. If we're children of God, God never gives us what we deserve because we deserve death. And what does he give us? Life. By his grace, he gives us what we need, whether it's encouragement or whether it's confrontation. 
I, I love the line in Job where Job says, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He knew where it came from. He knew that the Lord had given him so many wonderful things, and he also knew that the Lord can take it away, and he was, God was just and righteous in taking it. And why does he do that? Why does God give? Why does he take away? It's for the same reason. Because he wants our hearts. God is going to speak in, in this chapter of Isaiah God is speaking to Jerusalem, and he's speaking to their heart. Let's go to verse 1. He says, Ah, Ariel, Ariel, the city where David encamped, add year to year, let the feast run there round. Now, you're thinking, who's this Ariel character? Who, who's, why is God calling Jerusalem Ariel? Well, Ariel means altar hearth. Um, if this was the... If this was the, uh, the altar where you're going to burn sacrifice, the altar hearth would have been the slab on the top where you lay the animal on, you slaughter it, and then you burn it. That's the altar hearth. He, he, so he's, he's calling them the altar hearth. Jerusalem is a place where sinners worshipped a holy God through substitutionary sacrifice. What they would do is they would, they would come and they would bring their animals, God, and the, the, um, the priest would actually kill the animal and then put it on the altar and burn it. But Isaiah's being a little sarcastic in this because what he says after he talk, uh, he says that God calls the city of David Ariel, he says year to year, the celebrations of the people were so beautiful. If you study how, what, how, what, how amazing the, the depth of the rituals that the Jewish people went to when they would do a sacrifice. The Day of Atonement. Sometimes look up the Day of Atonement and, and study it. The celebrations of the Jewish people were so beautiful and elaborate, but they had become so empty because the people were worshiping, but their hearts were far from God. And see, Jerusalem doesn't understand the peril of, in their privilege. They were God's chosen people. Chosen from by God out of all the nations. And I don't think many times we realize that as a church, we too are in peril. Because you see, God is holy. He's not erratic. He's holy. The book of Hebrews, chapter 12, says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. See, God is like a high-voltage power line, full of danger and yet providing amazing power. And the only thing that protects us from God's wrath, the, the high-voltage line, is his love for Jesus Christ, who is our substitute on the altar or the aerial of the cross. Our only protection from God is God. And Isaiah 29, 2, it says, Yet I will distress Ariel, and there shall be moaning and lamentation, and she shall be to me like an aerial. See, Jerusalem will be placed where the fire of God burns. And see, we are faced today with that choice. Will our worship be consumed with God, or will it be consumed by God? Let me repeat that. 
Will our worship be consumed with God or will it be consumed by God? In verse 3, Isaiah goes on, and I will encamp against you all around. God is saying, I'm going to come against you and will besiege you with towers and I will raise siege works against you. God's going to bring an army against Jerusalem. You know, sometimes God will attack us. Why? Why would God do that? Because that is what we need. We need to do some serious business with God and quit playing our religious games with God. Notice that Isaiah does not mention the Assyrians who were ready to besiege Jerusalem. We know that God will and does use the pagan nations to do his work. But it is God himself that Jerusalem needs to do business with. Sometimes we need to look beyond the obvious. When we are under siege, chances are it is God that we must reckon with. It is God who will bring us down to the dust where we can barely cry for help. But the beauty is at this point, this is where the Holy Spirit steps in. Paul tells us in Romans 8, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. See, Isaiah will then turn this around. In the previous chapter, we saw Isaiah looking up to Samaria. And he turns around and, does, and condemns Jerusalem. Well, now... He is looking at Jerusalem and he's going to turn and going to turn to the whole world. The one who burns like fire in Jerusalem will turn towards the whole world. Verse 5. But the multitude of your foreign foes shall be like small dust and the multitude of the ruthless like passing chaff. And in an instant, suddenly, you will be visited by the Lord of hosts with thunder and with earthquake and great noise, with whirlwind and tempest and the flame of a devouring fire, and the multitude of all the nations that fight against Ariel, all that fight against her and her stronghold and distress her, shall be like a dream, a vision of the night, as when a hungry man dreams, and behold, he is eating, and awakes from his hunger not satisfied, or as when a thirsty man dreams, and behold, he is drinking, and awakes faint, with his thirst not quenched, so shall the multitude of all the nations be, fight against Mount Zion. Now God may be using the enemy of his, enemies of his people to discipline them, but that does not mean that he will not also judge those nations. In the same way, God may use our enemies and our lives to discipline us, but in an instant, God can turn them into dust. He alone is able, without our help, to frustrate the schemes of those who oppose us. You see, the world is longing for the demise of the church. From the very beginning, there have been those who have been licking their chops at its demise. But we have to remember what Paul said in Romans 8.31. What then shall they say to these things? We shall say to these things, if God is for us, who can be against us? See, the God who besieges us is also able to defend both himself and us. He knows what to do. We just have to surrender to him. Now, Isaiah is going to talk about a mystery. In verse 9, 
Astonish yourselves and be astonished. Blind yourselves and be blind. Be drunk, but not with wine. Stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, the prophets, and covered your heads, the seers. Isaiah is so frustrated, and I, and I admit at times that I get that way too. Isaiah sees his gener this generation and he blurts out that they should go ahead and be blind. This is what they wanted. And even though they come to worship, their hearts have been darkened so much that God will darken them even more. It doesn't seem fair, does it? But God's ways are not our ways. We have to respect what God is doing and going to do. And there's a mystery to God's ways. Verse 11. And the vision of all this has become to you like the words of the book that is sealed. When men give it to one who can read, saying, Read this, he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. And when they give the book to one who cannot read, saying, Read this, he says, I cannot read. We see two symptoms of unbelief in these words. The first person, who is learned, is too lazy to open the scroll and understand what it says. The second person is too lazy to learn how to read. See, God is going to harden the hearts of those who refuse to have a hunger for the truth to the point that they are spiritually blind. Verse 13. And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men, therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. The question is, what do we truly prize? Do we prize tradition or God? We can't serve two masters. We have to choose between authentic worship and pious blasphemy. God is offended when we replace freshness with form and, rea and reality with rote. See, the Bible warns us in 2 Timothy 3, 5, Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. See, some people hold to a form of godliness, but den uh, they deny its power. They seem godly. They seem to be doing the right things. But in reality, there's no power in their life. The power of the Holy Spirit is not in their lives. It's not. Their lives are not changed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. They attend church dutifully, but their hearts are far from God. Now, in the church, older people need the power of godliness in their hearts because they have little time left to get ready for heaven. Middle-aged people need the power of godliness in their hearts because they are strongly tempted to coast, to rest on their laurels, to become dull and mediocre. Young families need the power of godliness in their hearts because they are forging the convictions that will shape their home for a lifetime. Single people need the power of godliness in their hearts because they can gain or they can forfeit single-minded devotion to Jesus Christ. Students and teenagers need the power of godliness in their hearts because they are being targeted by the world with brilliant and attractive seductions. Children, they need the power of godliness in their hearts while they are young and open to be set apart to God forever. Verse 15. Ah, you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark and who say, Who sees us? Who knows us? You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay, that the thing made should say to its maker, He did not make me, or the thing formed say of him who formed it, He has no understanding. 
So aren't you glad that God is sovereign? People will deny God. They will say, oh, God didn't make us. But the fact is, God did. And God can do whatever he wants. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God in the hev is in heavens. He does all that he pleases. God is free and unbound. Our unbelief, our lack of understanding does not neutralize God. Just because you don't believe in God does not mean he doesn't exist. Oh, the world thinks that uh, God is neutralized by us. But it is in our unbelief is where God actually starts with us. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, But God, being rich in mercy, because of great love, which he, had, he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. The spirit of the world today is a spirit of autonomy. Who can see us? Who could know us? We commit sins in private, thinking that no one knows. We have thoughts that are evil, that we think we could hide from everyone. What fools we are. Our blindness to God's omniscience cannot defeat God's sovereignty. It is out of madness of defiance that God is creating something new. Verse 17. It is not yet a very little while until Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field. And the fruitful field shall be regarded as a forest. In that day the deaf shall hear the words of the book. And out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall attain fresh joy in the Lord. And the poor among mankind shall exalt the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah sees the forest of Lebanon as a picture of human nobility and might. But God will tear it down and humble it into a common field. And that humble field will one day again be a mighty forest. See, what modern society values does not really make much sense. God is promising to change things around. Fresh joy in Christ will flood the world. This is not some last-minute thought of God, but it is the fulfillment of the ancient covenant with Abraham. Verse 20. For the ruthless shall come to nothing, and the scoffer cease, and all who watch to do evil shall be cut off. Who by a word make a man out of an offender? and lay a snare for him who reproves in the gate, and with an empty plea turn aside him who is in the right. Therefore, thus says the Lord, who redeemed Abraham, concerning the house of Jacob, Jacob shall no more be ashamed, and no more shall his face grow pale. For when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they will sanctify my name, they will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob, and will stand in awe in the God of Israel. And those who go astray in spirit will come to understanding, and those who murmur will accept instruction. See, the Israelites are no longer going to be ashamed because they will see his children, the work of my hands. I believe this is talking about the church, the true church, that will come to an understanding of faithfulness in Jesus Christ. So how do we apply this? See, the question is, how is your heart after Christ? Are you passionate and soft and yielded to him as you were in the day when you first believed? Or do you feel far from him? If you do feel far from him, then you need to ask the great physician of your heart to do some thorough examination. Don't be satisfied with religiosity coming each week and just going through the motions. 
ask God to work reality into your heart. The things of God are worth intense passion in our hearts. And it is the work of Christ that makes all this possible. He shed his blood on the cross for our sins. He took our religious formalism and hypocrisy on himself and died under the wrath of God. Christ fulfilled the animal sacrifices that the Jews were doing like machines for centuries and fulfilled the real purpose for them. God gave us the Holy Spirit so that we can live with genuine passion and power for the glory of God. And by the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, God's word becomes an open book, no longer sealed in mystery. We are no longer biblical illiterates who cannot understand what God desires for us and from us. And we have to live it. Seek God with all of our hearts. Allow him to change us, to change our heart, and renew our spirits every day. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're watching on YouTube, please like this video as it will help in spreading this message into the global online community. Please consider subscribing to our page so that you will receive notices when we post new messages. If you're watching this on Rumble, please hit the Rumble button for this video so that the gospel can be spread into the Rumble community. Also, consider subscribing to our Rumble channel. You can also listen to our podcast on Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. We hope you have a blessed day.